Well, welcome to session two of our Palm Vista Institute on the Holy Spirit, the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And tonight, we're going to be looking at the gifts of the Holy Spirit, an overview. If you look on your notes, the first line there, the Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence who gives us gifts for use in the church. The Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence who gives us gifts for use in the church. So first thing we need to do, let's take a look at a theological definition of a spiritual gift. This is from Wayne Grudem's uh, uh, Systematic Theology, and it says the following. A spiritual gift is any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. Spiritual gifts are given to equip the church to carry out its ministry until Christ returns. They also give a foretaste of the age to come. They also give a foretaste of the age to come. So, in Scripture, all of the gifts, from seemingly natural ones like mercy and serving, to supernatural ones like healing, are all viewed as being from God and empowered by the Spirit. And, folks, this is important, all the gifts of the Spirit at work in the church in the first century are available today. That's why Palm Vista Community Church would be continuationist. We believe that the gifts continue. All of them. All of them. Scripture suggests that the gifts are given to the church until Christ's return, and there is no indication anywhere in Scripture, that any of the gifts were intended to pass away with the early church. Now, tonight, we do not have time to go into uh, an apologetic or an argument to defend that, but uh, we really believe that here at Palm Vista Community Church. And a a lot of times people will use the text of 1 Corinthians 13, where it says, when the perfect comes, the imperfect will go away. And oftentimes they say that the perfect that comes uh, is, is the Word of God, And the imperfect that goes away would be the spiritual gifts. But that is not an interpretation that we would embrace. We would say that the perfect that that comes is the kingdom of God. Not the word of God, but the kingdom of God. So, we would say that all the gifts of the Holy Spirit continue to today. All the gifts of the Holy Spirit continue until today. So, point number one in our notes... The Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence. And let's take a look at that scripture. If you wouldn't mind, please turn to 1 Corinthians 12, 1 to 11. Everybody grab your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11. By the way, when you're talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you want to fix in your mind some key scriptures. And a key scripture talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit would be 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, which we're going to look at tonight as well as Romans 12 and Ephesians 4. We're going to look at all those scriptures tonight. But let's take a look at this first point. The Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence. What it says there in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1, actually I'm going to read verses 1 to 6. It says the following. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. 
Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So, let's just begin by saying, in a general treatment of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we're talking about the Holy Spirit empowering you. So, for example, if you have the gift of music, great. That's not necessarily a gift of the Holy Spirit. But if the Holy Spirit comes and empowers you for service in the church with the gift of music, that's a gift of the Holy Spirit. Just as he empowers the man who would pray for someone to be healed, or the woman that would serve in mercy, or, or, or the person, the man or woman that prophesies, if it's empowered by the Spirit for the service of the church, it's a spiritual gift. There are spectacular spiritual gifts, and there are non-spectacular spiritual gifts. We're going to see in a moment that even the lists that we have in the Bible of the spiritual gifts are not meant to be comprehensive. They're meant to be examples. You've got to understand this. A spiritual gift, as it says in our definition at the top there, is any ability. You, got any, you have an ability? When that ability is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church, that's a spiritual gift. I want to broaden our view of the spiritual gifts. Because the important part is, why are they given? They're given to serve the church. And that's what the second point says. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts to build up His church. Now let's read about that. Turn in your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8, are going to lay for us a foundation of why the spiritual gifts. Now remember, what are we doing here tonight? A, we're giving you an apologetic or a biblical reason why at Palm Vista we believe that the gifts of the Spirit operate today. All of them. I did that briefly. Happy to talk to anyone about that later. If you're listening to this by CD or digitally, we can talk about that later. B, we're going to look at the purpose of the spiritual gifts. We're going to look at why they were given. And then C, we're actually going to delve into something that can be a little bit controversial. We're going to talk a little bit about what is the difference between the baptism of the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Spirit? Okay. Next week, Corey Lee Smidgen is going to teach you the specific gifts. Okay. So he's going to really get into each gift. This week, we're not going to have time for that. I, if you'll notice on the back of your notes, I give you a, a list of the gifts as they're listed in Scripture. I'm not going to be able to drop into each one. Next week, we will. Next week, we will. All right. All right. So now let's go back to point two. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts to build up His church. Romans 12, 3-8 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts, check this out, that differ according to the grace given to us. You ever heard the word charismatic? These gifts are called charismata, grace gifts. That's where the word charismatic comes from. Charismata, that word grace, charismata. Charis is the, is the Greek word for grace. Charismata are grace gifts. That's where you get the word charismatic. Okay. So the grace given to us, let us use them. Aha. Uh -huh. So... We're going to use the gifts according to the grace given us to build up the church. If prophecy in proportion 
to our faith, if service and our serving, the one who leads in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal. Notice all these gifts here. Some are spectacular, some are. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. We already read this scripture, but uh, let's drop back into it. We read through verse 6 of 1 Corinthians. Look at 1 Corinthians 12. Jump back to 1 Corinthians 12, please. Verses 7 to 11. What are, we, what are we stating here? That the Holy Spirit gives us gifts to build up the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11, says the following. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. That's a gift. Why? For the common good. Verse 8. To one is given through the Spirit the utterances of wisdom. To another the utterance of knowledge. According to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing. Now that's a spectacular one. Is it not? And I pray for that gift, and I believe that gift exists, and I pray for people to be healed. Spectacular gift of the Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. That's pretty spectacular. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. Now look at verse 11. All these are empowered by whom? By one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each individually as he wills. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 28. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration in various kinds of tongues. And then Ephesians 4, 11. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to flip to the appendix. Simply turn your sheet of paper over and you will find an appendix. Okay? Now, in this appendix here, we have a lengthy quote by Dr. Wayne Grudem. I think it's a helpful quote. Though we're not going to descend into describing each of these gifts, Corey will do that next week, I think it's helpful to read this quote, and I'm going to read it to you there. Paul was not attempting to construct exhaustive lists of gifts when he specified the ones he did. Although there is sometimes an indication of some other Some order, excuse me, he puts apostles first, prophets second, and teachers third, but tongues last in 1 Corinthians 12, 28. It seems that in general, Paul has almost randomly listing, was almost randomly listing a series of different examples of gifts as they came to mind. Moreover, there is some degree of overlap among the gifts listed at various places. No doubt, the gift of administration, 1 Corinthians 12, 28, is similar to the gift of leadership, Romans 12, 8. It sure is. If you're going to lead, buddy, you're going to administer. Men, if you don't administer in your home, you ain't a leader. And women said amen. And both terms could probably be applied to many who have the office of pastor-teacher. So, so you've got three gifts, pastor-teacher, Ephesians 4, 11, leadership, Romans 12, 8, and administration, 1 Corinthians 12, 8. Well... I do that. I'm a pastor teacher. I'm teaching you right now. But I had to administer my time to prepare this message and make the copies and set up the, the room and call Jose about a month and a half ago and say, hey, you're willing to host this thing. You know, make sure that the recording is going on. Okay, so gift of administration, gift of leadership, gift of teaching. They kind of function together. Do you see that? Why? Hopefully empowered by the Spirit. Why? To build up the church. And people that are going to listen to this. Okay? See how that works? Moreover, in some cases, Paul lists an activity. and In other cases, he lists the related noun that describes the person. For example, prophecy in Romans 12.6 and 1 Corinthians 12.10, but prophet 
in 1 Corinthians 12, 28 and Ephesians 4, 11. You see that? Okay. So one describes the person. One describes the activity. All right? So here you have lists. I'm not going to go over these, but in the appendix you see the list in 1 Corinthians 12, 28. Apostle, prophet, teacher, miracles, kinds of healings, helps, administration, tongues. 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues. Ephesians 4.11, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. Romans 12.6-8, prophecy, serving, teaching, encouraging, contributing, leadership, mercy. 1 Corinthians 7.7, 7, marriage and celibacy, he does call those gifts. And 1 Peter 4.11, whoever speaks, covering several gifts. Whoever renders service, covering several gifts. So, Remember, the, the, what's the definition of a spiritual gift? According to our notes, definition of a spiritual gift, according to our notes, is a, a spiritual gift is any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. So again, I urge you, these, these, these lists are not meant to be exhaustive. That means that's it. This is all there is. They're meant to be representative. Okay? Hopefully that helps you. Some people say, well, I don't have any gifts. Oh, yes, you do. Do you have any abilities? Are they empowered by the Holy Spirit? And are they used in the church? Well, bingo, there's your gift. Okay? Okay. Back to our notes. Point number three. God calls us to passionately seek the Spirit and eagerly, earnestly desire His gifts. God calls us to passionately seek the Spirit and eagerly, earnestly desire His gifts. Now, we are called to have a common passion for the Spirit. A common passion for the Spirit. And we're called to eagerly desire the greater gifts because God gives the Spirit without limit. Okay, now let me make that clear. We're called to have a common passion for the Spirit, eagerly desire the greater gifts, because God gives the Spirit without limit. Without limit. So as a church, we want to honor the Holy Spirit. We want to honor the Holy Spirit. Very important that we would honor the Holy Spirit. And how do we honor the Holy Spirit? We seek to be filled with the Spirit. Do you see that in your notes? Be filled with the Spirit. Now, underneath that point of being filled with the Spirit, I'm going to lay out for you a brief teaching of our view of being filled with the Spirit. And are you ready? Good. At Palm Vista Community Church, if you want to turn your page over, if you want to just jot some, down some notes, that would be fine. At Palm Vista Community Church, we use the term, be filled with the Spirit for what a believer is to seek and desire subsequent to conversion. We do not use the term, be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you, this may not be a big deal. I understand that I may be introducing something that for some it's not even a, a big deal. But because this is going down for posterity's sake into our digital library for Palm Vista Institute teachings, because I think this is very important, I'm going to go ahead and make a case for this. Here's my case. 
in, in, in earlier systematic theologies, when they talk about the work of the Holy Spirit, they, don't, they typically don't talk about this at all. But because in the early 1900s, Pentecostalism began to rise, where people were experiencing something of the Spirit. And then in the 1960s and 70s and 80s, the charismatic movement really took, 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 uh, took off. And whether it's in the Catholic Church or in the mainline denominations, you know, churches begin to experience the things of the Holy Spirit. And because we are a church that believes in the continuing work of the Holy Spirit and all the gifts of the Spirit, oftentimes we've been called a charismatic church. It, it's, it's very important for you to understand that we would define terms carefully. Define terms carefully. So, some churches believe that there is a subsequent work of the Holy Spirit in a believer that they call baptism in the Holy Spirit that every believer has to have that is separate and distinct from the work of the Holy Spirit in salvation. Okay, So for example, they would say that when Jesus came, John the Baptist said he comes, he will baptize you in the Spirit. I baptize you in water, but one is coming after me who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. All right? Then they will look at the book of Acts, and they will say in the book of Acts, there are ample ex- examples of, of people being baptized in the Holy Spirit, a subsequent work after salvation, where someone has, has, a, has, has a work of the Spirit in their life that is different from salvation. And they call that the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And typically that's accompanied by speaking in tongues. We would believe that what Scripture is actually talking about is not being baptized in the Holy Spirit, but being filled with the Holy Spirit. So, the argument goes like this. Well, Al, how can you say that if when you look at Acts chapter 1, Jesus says, wait for the Spirit. He's going to come upon you. And then you look at Acts chapter 2, and it says they were baptized in the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and they spoke in tongues. Isn't that normative, the term normative? Isn't isn't that the normal experience for every believer? We would say, no, it's not. Because those Christians were in a unique time of transition between the Old Testament, where remember last week we talked about the work of the Spirit was different. The Spirit was on people, but it wasn't in them. And so those believers, those apostles, and those people who were believers, they, they, they became believers under really the Old Covenant as it was transitioning into the New Covenant. So there was a particular historical change that occurred that God was marking when he poured out the Spirit on them in Acts chapter 2. That is not normative for us today. Because today, we have become Christians under the full new covenant. So in other words, something changed in history, and God gave the Spirit, and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, even though they were already born again. They already knew Jesus. Okay, so then there's another example. Well, Al, what about in, in Acts when they went to Samaria 
So Acts chapter 2 is the first example. What about in Acts when they went to Samaria and Acts chapter 6 and the Samaritans were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Is, isn't that, isn't that uh, normative for us today? And, and what we would say is no, again, the Samaritans were a particular group of people who were despised and that baptism of the Holy Spirit that was subsequent to their salvation was to mark that they too were entering into the, new, the full new covenant. So it was a unique time in the history of salvation. It was not meant to be normative for us. So that's the, that's the, uh, the Samaritans receiving the Holy Spirit. And then if you, go, if you go to Acts chapter 10, you will see that Cornelius... And a bunch of Gentiles, okay, were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Isn't that normative for us? And the answer again is no. Because this was the sign that the gospel was going to Gentiles. That the gospel was going to Gentiles. So this this baptism in the Spirit was not meant to be something that was normative for you and for me. It was only for, it was to mark that the Gentiles were now being received fully into the covenant. And then the final example is in Acts chapter 20 when Paul is in Ephesus and the Spirit comes upon these folks. And, uh, and, and, and sorry, Acts, Acts chapter 19. And the Spirit comes upon these folks and, and they hadn't heard about Jesus. And there was this, there was this subsequent work of the Spirit upon, upon these people where they were baptized in the Spirit. So the argument says is all those examples in Acts are normative for the Christian today. So, so the classical Pentecostal charismatic teaching is that you get saved and then you have a subsequent work of the Holy Spirit. I don't believe that's what Scripture teaches. I don't believe that's what Acts is saying. In fact, many times you will have people saying, I'm waiting for the promise of the Spirit. And it's almost like this, this two-tier Christianity. There's the, the Christians that have it and the Christians that are saved but don't have it. And they feel inferior. I do not believe that that is a biblical view of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The biblical view of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is in 1 Corinthians 12. So please turn there. 1 Corinthians 12. And uh, let's look at verse 23. Excuse me, 1 Corinthians 11, my bad. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. Um, where it says that we were all baptized into one body by the Spirit. You see that there? 1 Corinthians, where it says we were all baptized by one Spirit. I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, excuse me. My bad. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, where it says that we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body. You see that? Okay. So, this is the normative experience of the New Testament Christian outside the unique 
redemptive historical situations of Acts. Acts was not meant to be normative for us because the Christians in Acts were transitioning from an old covenant. Jesus had come, but the new hadn't fully come, and they were transitioning into into the new covenant. By the time you get to Corinthians, these Christians are like us. So what 1 Corinthians 12, 13 tells us is, you are baptized in the Spirit when you are saved. It's, It's immediate. It's instantaneous. The work of the Spirit, He comes and He baptizes you into the body of Christ. It happens when you become a part of the body. When do you become a part of the body of Christ? When you're saved. So the baptism in the Holy Spirit, according to 1 Corinthians 12, 13, happens immediately when you're saved. Now, those that would hold to the Pentecostal or traditional Pentecostal or charismatic view of the baptism in the Holy Spirit would tell you that this baptism in the Holy Spirit is different from the one spoken of in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19. These these baptisms of the Holy Spirit, of the original apostles, of the Samaritans, of of Cornelius and the Gentiles, and of the Ephesians, those are are one baptism in the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 is totally different. Now, if you argue that, then you can say what's happening here in 1 Corinthians 12, 13 is not the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's something different. But you can't do that. Grammatically, they're the same. It's the same baptism in the Spirit. It's, it's, it's now the baptism in the Holy Spirit of Christians that have become Christians in the, new, in the fully new covenant. Let me just repeat that again. In Acts, you have Christians that are becoming Christians. They became Christians as the old was transitioning to the new. So that experience was not meant to be normative for you and me because you and I have become Christians in the fully new era, the new covenant, the time of the Spirit. So we don't need a subsequent work. We get the whole package. You're saved, you're baptized by the Spirit, as it says in 12, 13, for for in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. Now, You're baptized into one body when you're saved. And God does that. So folks, baptism in the Holy Spirit occurs when you're saved. Now, let's talk about that if you would have a question. But it's vital because it prevents us from a two-tiered Christianity. It's vital because everybody has the Spirit. I would even argue this. It's vital... Because in, in so many churches, you wait for the promise, and when you finally get it, one night, or one day, or one afternoon, then that's it, you've got it. And you sort of rest back on that for the rest of your Christian life, oftentimes. Because you finally got it. You, you know, you point to one experience, which, by the way, I think is a legitimate experience. Okay? But, but that becomes now your badge. And if someone doesn't have it, they're somehow inferior. I mean, even, even very, 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 very hyper-Pentecostalism, some would even say, you're not even saved if you don't speak in tongues. Now, not, not, not many, but some say that. You're certainly, you know, inferior. Okay? That's not what the Bible teaches. What the Bible teaches is one baptism 
many fillings. One baptism, many fillings. Now, look at your notes. We're back to the notes. Hold the questions, yeah, till afterwards, just for the sake of the tape, okay? We have a question, we're going to hold it till afterwards. So one baptism, many fillings. So look in your notes, number three. God calls us to passionately seek the Spirit and eagerly, earnestly desire His gifts. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, jot down these these references, okay? We're going to go through them slowly. Ephesians 5.18. Ephesians 5.18. So, so we're not praying for people to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's what God does at salvation. It's a unique work of God. The Spirit baptizes you in the body. I certainly don't. He regenerates you. He gives you life. He equips you. He, he's going he's to take your abilities and, 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 and spice them up. And, and deliver them to the church to bring that flavor to the church. That's the work of the Spirit. But we are called to seek ongoing infillings of the Spirit. So we're, we're to be filled with the Spirit every day. We're to be filled with the Spirit anew. Look what it says in Ephesians 5.18. Ephesians 5.18. Everybody there? Ephesians 5.18. Yeah, jot these down under that point. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says this, Do not get drunk on wine. Remember, he's he's talking to Christians, okay? He doesn't say don't drink it. He says don't get drunk on it. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, what does it say? Be filled with the Spirit. Exclamation point. I don't know if in your Bible it's got an exclamation point there. This is a command. Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. That word there, filled... I won't bore you too much with the Greek, but it's the Greek word plerao. And you know what it means? To be crammed to fully satisfaction, thoroughly permeated. If I had a, if I had a sponge, I could drop some water on it. You know, the old crusty, hard sponge. And I could drop one bit of water on it. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about taking that sponge and dipping it in the bucket of water, filling it with water so it comes up and the water is just oozing in it. You squeeze it. Remember what we talked about last week? What did Jesus say when he stood up on the last day of the feast? Remember that feast, the Feast of Tabernacles? John 7, I believe it's 37, although tonight I've had some problems with references. But John 7, 37, it is 1 Corinthians 12, 13, okay? I got that. So John 7, 37, what did Jesus say? He stood up on the last day, the great day of the feast, that feast that was commemorating the giving of the the river of water in Ezekiel. And Ezekiel said, there'll come a day where the water will just flow. And everybody knew that was the Spirit. She says, hey, if anybody thirsts, imagine the priest pouring water from the temple. If anybody thirsts, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And what does John tell us? He was speaking of what? The Spirit. 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 So so we want to be careful to to define the baptism of the Spirit carefully, but we want to seek to be filled with the Spirit every single day. You get that? That should be a passion. Because God tells us to. Alright? Alright, let's take a look at another one. let's, let's, Let's just kind of back up a little bit, okay? Remember Luke 141? Just jot that down, Luke 141. If you don't have time to turn there, let me just read it. Luke 141. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, 
the baby in her womb, and Elizabeth was the mother of John the Baptist, okay? the baby in her womb, John the Baptist, left in her womb, and Elizabeth was what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay? All right, let's take a look at another one. Jot this one down. Now we're going to start walking through Acts. And I believe here in Acts, this is normative. I do not believe Acts chapter 2 is normative, okay? That we're supposed to have a subsequent baptism in the Holy Spirit. I don't believe that. But I do believe that Acts chapter 4 is normative. I do believe that. Acts chapter 4, turn to verse 8, please. Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Acts chapter 4, verse 8. And it says the following. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. He's going to get up. He's going to actually be preaching here. Filled with the Holy Spirit. So Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. He's filled with the Spirit to do what? The very thing that Jesus said the Spirit was coming to do. Remember Acts chapter 1? Wait for the Holy Spirit. When he comes upon you, you will be my witnesses. Marturion. Get the word martyr from that. So Peter was standing up, knowing he could die, filled with the Holy Spirit, ready to preach the word boldly. That's what we're to seek every day. Fill me with your Spirit, Lord, so I can open my mouth at work. All right, turn to Acts chapter 6, please. Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. The second part of verse 5. Acts chapter 6. Second part of verse 5. And it says this. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. So Stephen was filled with the Holy Spirit. Does everybody remember what happened to Stephen? He was the first martyr. The Apostle Paul was right there before he was Paul. He was Saul and he was... He was Kill him. Because he just preached the gospel. Kill that man. And they killed him. And Paul was right there. And they all put their cloaks at Paul's feet. So Stephen was filled with the Spirit to give his life for Jesus. Hey, you see that? Look at Acts chapter 11. Speaking of Barnabas. Turn to Acts chapter 11. Look at verse 24. Acts chapter 11. Verse 24. Acts chapter 11, verse 24, speaking of Barnabas, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Full of the Holy Spirit and faith. This is what we're to, this is what we're to seek, okay? To be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then finally, turn to Acts chapter 13, verse 52. Acts chapter 13, verse 52. By the way, I, I, I'm sorry, I gave you a wrong... I cited a wrong scripture earlier. The Samaritan filling. The Samaritan baptism is in Acts chapter 8. Not, not, I think I said 9. So let me just, let me just go back and correct that. The, 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 the original Pentecost was Acts chapter 2 with the Jews. The Samaritan Pentecost was Acts chapter 8. The, the, the Gentiles, being, their Pentecost was Acts chapter 10. And the Ephesians was Acts chapter 19. Those baptisms in the Spirit would not be normative for us. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 would be. 
Okay? What is normative for us is, for example, what it says in Acts chapter 13, verse 52. Acts chapter 13, verse 52. The disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. The disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Guys, I want you to go back to one more. I said I was going to end with this, but I'm not. Acts chapter 4. Go back to Acts chapter 4. You know, Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit in verse 8, but look at verse 31. Acts 4.31. This is what's normative. This is what we want to pray for. This is what we need every day. This is why we gather as a church. This is why you're here tonight. This is why folks are listening to this digitally. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Do you see that? One baptism, that occurs at your salvation. But many fillings, folks. Some you say, well, you know, when you're filled, you're filled. No, you need to be filled every day. That play rao is be being filled. You know, uh, one guy once said, you know, we're, we're all like this cup that, 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 that contains the water. God fills us. But I'll tell you what, each morning that I wake up, there's a hole in the bottom, man. It leaks. Why? Because we're finite. We're falling. So we need, to, we need to seek to be filled with the Spirit. The Christian life was never meant to be lived in drudgery and trudging and, and, and self-effort. It was be, meant to be filled with the Spirit, filled with joy. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. If you lack that, <clears throat> then oftentimes you're trying to do it on your own. Instead of saying, Lord, fill me. Fill me with courage. Isn't that an exciting lifestyle? Lord, take whatever abilities I have and fill them. Yeah, I, just, I mean, Tim's here tonight. And just, just think of the pulpit that Tim built for us. I believe he was filled with the Spirit for that. I mean, Tim knows how to work with wood. He's a craftsman. He's, he's excellent. And he could go build a house and he can go put a door in. That's fine. He's got a normal... But, but God, God blessed him and filled him. And we used that pulpit for a season. And then we were able to enable another pastor of an African-American church to to take that pulpit and use it. And I believe it was God's providence. The day he took that, Tim happened to be working as a locksmith for the Miami-Dade Public Schools at the school where we store the pulpit at the very time that guy came to get the pulpit. And I was wheeling it out. And I said, this is the guy that built it. That's not a coincidence. That's the God saying to Tim, thanks, Tim. Because Tim got to see the joy on this man's face. Do you see, you see where I'm going here? The Spirit takes the mundane, takes the normal, and, and touches it with the breath of God. It takes tired Christians and, and gives them strength. Tired moms, you know, at home with their kids. Men that are suffering from perhaps sickness and, and fills us for bold witness. Like we said last week, also helps us to walk in sanctification. It does many things, but ah, we want to be filled with the Spirit, guys, like these early disciples were. 
The Holy Spirit desires to fill each believer continually with increased power for Christian life and witness. Our responsibility and privilege is to live a life of dependence upon God, asking for His Spirit to continually fill us, to empower us, and to strengthen us to live lives for His glory. Once again, you've already seen it, Ephesians 5.18, and do not get drunk with wine, but, for that is debauchery, but be filled, be being filled with the Spirit. All right. Second point underneath number three. Second point underneath number three. Point number three is God calls us to passionately seek the Spirit and eagerly, earnestly desire His gifts. Earnestly, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Please turn to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1 says the following. First part of that verse. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Follow the way of love. It, it follows 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. It's sandwiched between 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, which talk about the gifts. But it's, 1 Corinthians 14 says, yeah, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. In addition to giving us increased boldness and effectiveness to witness, which is what we saw in Acts 4.31, prompting worship and thanksgiving in our hearts, which we saw in Ephesians 5.18, increasing growth and godliness, which we saw last week, and strengthening our relationship with other believers, the Holy Spirit also imparts spiritual gifts for the edification of the church and for the works of ministry in the world. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians 14.1 to eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. Because like we read in 1 Corinthians 12.7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So we're to, we're to eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. Why? So we can serve. Now, now this is what I'd say to some. To, to my formerly cessationist friends who would have come from a tradition that says that the gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased, or some have, I would say this. Consider carefully what the Bible says about the continuation of the gifts. That the perfect in 1 Corinthians 13 is not talking about the Word of God, though it is perfect. It's talking about the Kingdom of God. That has not come yet. And so God is saying, eagerly desire those gifts. What are we going to do with that Scripture? We're supposed to obey Scripture. What are we going to do with that Scripture? We've got to pursue God. Remember, what's the definition of a spiritual gift? An ability God gives you, empowered by the Spirit, for use in the church. So broaden your view, guys. It's not just preaching, teaching, healing, praying, faith, tongues. It includes all that. But it's not limited to that. Oh, no. The Spirit comes to empower you. And actually, you know what the greatest, one of the greatest gifts of the Spirit is? Is to boldly speak the Word of God. So, so you're filled with the Spirit. Moms, when you're sharing the Gospel, the Word of God with your children, pray for that each morning. It's not a drudgery. When we share the Gospel with people at work. Okay? When we share a great Scripture with a fellow Christian who's suffering. Pray to, just, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. Take a natural ability I have to speak and read and empower it. That's the spirit-filled life. 
We are in the age of the Spirit. We should be people of the Spirit. That's the difference between us and the Old Covenant. The Spirit was on them. He's in us. So let's live by the Spirit. And you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. That's what it means to be Spirit-filled. We are a Spirit-filled church. Make no apologies for it. We are a Spirit-filled church. Properly defining to my charismatic Pentecostal brothers and sisters what it means to be baptized in the Spirit. Everybody's baptized in the Spirit that is born again. But you know what? Not everybody's fully filled with the Spirit. And that helps us understand that. Because there are some people that you were looking at and say, man, that cup's been empty for a while. That sponge, that sponge is pretty dry. Is, is a dry sponge useful? I mean, if it's heavy enough, you can throw it at somebody. You know? <laughs> but is it useful for what sponges are supposed to be used for? You ever tried wiping something with a dry sponge? It's got to be filled. It's like a Christian. We're all baptized. One baptism. Many filled. Many films. So looking at the application there in your notes. Let me just read that to you as we bring this to a conclusion. We recognize the value of the various corporate gatherings of the church as context for us to experience a fresh infilling of the Spirit. While private devotions are crucial for the Christian life, God is pleased to reveal His active presence in corporate meetings in ways we don't normally experience when we're alone. Which is why, my friends, we we so highly commend to you the two main areas where we experience this are Sunday morning service and Wednesday night home group. Can you experience the Spirit by yourself? Of course you can. But there's something unique about God's people gathering together where there's, there's, this, there's this unique active presence of God that we dare not miss. In fact, we should come running to meetings expecting it. Expecting God to fill me in home group. Expecting God to give me a, a normal ability I have to empower it to serve others. By the way, I just happened at Gustavo's here on my right. This man's trained in finance, high finance. You know, he, he's a successful man. But there's something he experiences when he does the books of this little dinky church and our little budget that's, you know, probably like one day's budget of some of the corporations. Our annual budget's one day budget of some of the corporations. He's, he's run the finances for and run. But there's something unique when he sits in that desk on a Sunday evening instead of being with his family and does a monthly report that's the Spirit's empowering an ability he has naturally. That's a gift of the Spirit. That's, by the way, that's the gift of administration. That, that brings a meaning. It's just as great as I may feel when I am empowered right now to preach or teach. Do you see that? It's the Spirit that does it. And we're to be filled with the Spirit. So he could experience that alone on a Sunday evening when he's doing the finances, but there's a corporateness of the Spirit falling upon us and giving us the gifts that we experience Primarily when we're together Sunday mornings in service and Wednesday nights in home group. So we should never be satisfied, folks, with anything less than the nearness of God, His active presence. Reading from this last paragraph. He has promised to draw near to us and He empowers us by the Holy Spirit to glorify Him and to serve Him more effectively as He accomplishes His purposes through the church. To be a Christian 
is to be marked by the presence of God. And how gracious He is to give us the Holy Spirit to empower us for our lives, our service to Him, and our life together as a church. How desperately we need this. And how wondrous it is that we can pursue this in faith and do so together. And folks, not only is it glorious when we do it, we're commanded to do it. We are to be filled with the Spirit. We are to eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. We are to honor the Holy Spirit, welcome Him, desire Him, and want Him. Okay? So what we're going to do for the sake of the tape is we're going to, we're going to end the, the recording at this point, probably have some questions. Uh, but next week, session three, Corey's going to drop into the specific gifts. And we'll, we'll, we'll discover those next week. So let me just pray before we, we, we end here. I just want to pray as well just for folks listening. Father, I pray that at Palm Vista we wouldn't just talk about the Spirit. Father, we would experience your active presence, your empowering presence, your sanctifying presence, your saving presence. Lord, that folks that come in that are unsaved would have the Spirit come and regenerate, make alive dead hearts and and, and make this gospel understandable and bring them to repentance and faith. For those of us who are believers, we would be filled with the Spirit to to not only speak the word boldly and to to empower our abilities we have to serve the church, but but as well to sanctify us and to, to help us to say no to worldliness and ungodliness and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in Christ Jesus. They would empower us for the men to lead boldly in their homes with faith. It would empower wives to submit to their husbands and, and to care for their families. It would empower singles to be pure. It would empower teens to obey and honor their parents. It would empower parents to, to care for and not provoke their children, but lead them gently and carefully. It empower us all to speak boldly the word to a lost world. Lord, that we would live in joy. We'd be the most joyful people on earth because we're filled with the Spirit. We're filled with the Spirit. So Lord, we, we ask, fill us afresh and anew tonight, every night. May Palm Vista be known as a church filled with the Spirit, people of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.